0: Welcome along to another podcast, which is coming to you live from Melbourne Park. Yes, tennis is back in Australia in a big way. After all the quarantine, finally the talking can be done on the court, and it's very, very exciting to have it here. A whole host of tournaments coming up this coming week. We've got the ATP Cup, a couple of uh, 250 events as well. And then the focus will move to the Australian Open. Our podcast has a big focus on the ATP Cup and I'm going to be joined by my commentary colleague and it's written here on my piece of paper, AO Radio Supremo, Chris Bowers. Hello. And former player turned broadcaster extraordinaire and master chocolatier, Jill Krabus.
1: Extremely happy to be here, Peter. Thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But before we get their thoughts on the groups for the ATP Cup, their experience of quarantine and everything else in between, We have had a busy week catching up with a lot of people connected with the ATP and the ATP Cup. So let's start right at the top with the Managing Director, Ross Hutchins, who started off by speaking about how the format for the ATP Cup is going to be different this year.
2: I think originally we, when we tried to come up with a format a couple of years ago with the 24 teams, we wanted to try and emulate our top t- top tier level of events, which is the Masters 1000s, and where the cut of a Masters 1000 in terms of ranking may be, which is normally around 50. And having 24 teams over a 10-day event or, or an 11-day event in, in some years, it, it would actually mean that the cut of the tournaments, the, meaning that the caliber of player, would emulate what a Masters 1000 would emulate based on the number one players, which was the original intention. Then we had to have a look at how it could work over three cities, but now looking at over one city, with trying to prepare for a Grand Slam, knowing that we didn't want to finish too late that week, leading straight into a Grand Slam. And also with the amount of courts we had on site, being the two stadium courts, along with the two ATP other tournaments, along with the two WTA other tournaments, we're putting, or Tennis Australia, putting on five tournaments in one location in one week. So then it became a bit of a jigsaw puzzle about how many courts we have, how many players we need to look after in order to make sure that everyone was able to play the week before the Australian Open. And it worked out nicely that how a 50% of the event with four groups of three, where normally it's six groups of four, would work very well as a three day group stage leading into a semi final and a final over five days, which can work really nicely and then lead straight into the Australian Open. So it was about trying to understand what works for the players what works for the sites and what works logistically under these COVID protocols. And we've had to make a couple of other changes as well, linked to uh, reducing the amount of people per team. Previously in in 2020, it was five players, but due to limitations of people being able to to come into Australia and becoming on site, we we reduced that to four and and to make sure that you have enough singles player per team and also the possibility of having doubles players because this event is fully based on, on ranking. You qualify based on your ranking. And also on on site, we also want to make sure that the the testing procedures are all in place, the the social distancing is in place, the mask wear when necessary by, by and mandated by local authorities is in place. And we will restrict certain things that has happened in previous years where this event was all about innovation and excitement and teamwork to make sure that we are aligned with current protocols and what is accepted around the world and accepted in Australia for 2021 and then 2022 we'll try and move back to our, our usual event that the event was formally ma- made and created
0: upon. Can you just take us through the innovations that have remained from last year that the fans will be seeing again in the 2021 version of the ATP Cup?
2: This year we are working with Tennis Australia to have Hawkeye Live, which is an electronic line calling system which removes the, the line judges. That's not something we used last year, but that's something that we've used at Next Gen ATP Finals in the past. And that, that's really about trying to reduce the amount of people on the court. Uh, line judges do a fantastic job, but for this year, we'll look at not having them on the court. And that's quite consistent with a lot of other ATP tournaments. In previous years, we had video review, which is like a, a, a official officiating next step of reviewing video footage from a certain point for infractions or double bounces or double hits or or things that happen in a match. We won't be having having that this year, but we will look to have it in future years again. The main innovations that we'll look at trying to continue is having more digital and technological innovations like we have previously with iPads on the courts and detailed performance analysis Key people off court, if I can call them them, so who are experienced in analyzing matches and detecting certain patterns of plays of players, that will be available for all players to speak to their specific person who are able to analyze matches and put forward tactics, which many players do on a day to day basis themselves. But we thought, as the, as the governing body and the event, organizer we should uh, apply that service to the players and to the teams and to the captains so that's something which we will be continuing with and also the live tracking on court as i mentioned with the ipads or something that the, the team captains team coaches and team bench players will be able to analyze from their team zones which are the very iconic and unique zones in the corners of the court which we thought worked very well last year so the look and feel of the event will still be there the show production the amazing spectacle that the event has The rules will still be there and mainly that the digital and and innovation will be there whilst also going in line with all the different protocols which we have to be cautious on And, and last year i would say we were able to be more creative behind the scenes where creating more team environment atmospheres or trying to create team rooms as well off court. this year we haven't done that one because of a change of location it wasn't as easy to be creative knowing that the australian open is two days after we start And two, because of just the protocols around mass gatherings in certain areas. So we've got to be a bit wary of that. So it will still be an incredible spectacle on the courts, but it will look very similar to previous years, just a different, different stadium and many of the innovations will still be there.
0: What are you looking forward to most out of ATP Cup edition number two? Well, I think we,
2: we, we're really excited about the the matchups that are going to happen and the excitement for the players who have been preparing in, in these last few weeks. Some players haven't played this year. Some players haven't played since Rolex Paris Masters last year back in October, November. So there was some players like Alex Diminar who played in Antalya and won the ATP 250 in January this year, but many of the players in ATP Cup haven't played for two, three months. So they are raring to go. They're very excited and they want to they want to showcase their skills from what they have improved over the off season. It's never easy to come in playing the the number one player in the world or the top 10 player in the world in the first week of the year, but that's the way these players are now looking forward to it. They want to test themselves. I've seen a lot of the players say that and use those words. I want to test myself early on because I feel like I've had a really good off season and it's the best players in the world playing against each other in the biggest format and the biggest showcase on the biggest courts where everyone will be watching. So I'm very excited about the matchup and, and the lineup which we have from our draw from last week, and really about seeing who's able to start the season very well. Because often when you start the season well, it really paints the picture for interesting storylines for the rest of the year as we paint our way through the year, which will be a challenging year again with the pandemic, all the way leading into to Turin. Need to, wait to be finals at the end of the year for our opening year in Turin, which has moved from London. So, we're very excited about the matchups, I think. And also, we're so used to having one on one competition based on individuals throughout the year. It's something which we know we love and, and we really support. And that's the core of tennis, whether it's singles and doubles. But really, when we're able to showcase patriotism and team competition, we see, we often see the best players shine or even underdog players shine by having that patriotic nature to them that's able to, to brim and, and, and come through. And doesn't matter if it's Rod Laver Arena or John Ken Arena or the biggest stadiums in the world playing against the best players in the world, they shine and, and they're able to perform at a higher level. So we saw that last year, certainly. We saw that with John Millman last year, how he played some incredible tennis Straight out the cold, where, where Nick couldn't play one day and John stepped in. We saw that with some some players throughout the draw. We saw that with Roberto bautista Agut, who, who hardly lost a set last year throughout his competition. So some players are able to really warm to the competition and step up. And I can't wait to see who's going to be those players this year. And those countries that are able to progress through to the knockout stages and to potentially winning the title in twenty one.
0: So there's Ross Hutchins, the Managing Director of the ATP Cup, and you'll be able to find an extended version of that conversation and a whole host of other interviews that we did during the week on the TuneIn website and app. Just search ATP Tennis Radio Exclusives. Well, let's focus on the actual groups now for the ATP Cup. And before I bring in Chris and Jill for their views, we're going to start off with Group A, which is set to be fiercely contested with reigning champion Serbia facing Canada, who have Denis Shapovalov and Milos Ranic among their ranks, and Germany, who are coached in a new role for him by Misha Zverev, the elder brother of Germany's number one player, Sasha.
3: I hope I won't be terrible. I hope the players will not get mad at me, and I hope we will win, so... There's a lot of hopes, and uh, hopefully <laughs> um, it'll work out somehow. But I'm, I'm definitely excited, and um, it's a different position. It's a new position, but also in a way I'm kind of familiar uh, with that role because of my brother. I've been um, courtside for you know many years, and I've, I've seen his development as a young player, as a professional. So I'm somewhat familiar with, with this role, and um, I don't know. Let's hope I can transition um, – to being a captain and maybe helping other players as well.
0: Well, how's that going to go? It's going to be really interesting. The dynamic between the two of you when you're going to be sitting there in the chairs on on Rod Laver or John Kane Arena. What's that dynamic going to be like? Have you had any talks about that uh, heading into the event?
3: We haven't had any talks, but it'll all depend on the score. If if he's winning, I'm sure it'll be like funny and 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 like easygoing. If he's losing, then we might <laughs> we might talk about other things and it'll be a little. <laughs> a little more serious so let's hope that we will have uh, a reason to smile and laugh um, every match he's playing.
4: Misha it's a very different relationship that you have with uh, the German number one player who's your younger brother and the number two player Jan-Leonard Struff who is obviously your generation how do you get on with Struffy and how's that going to work out when you're the team captain and he's maybe holding the fate of the German team in his hands?
3: Well, we've played each other a few times, and we're we're good friends. You know, we've we've been on the same team when we played Davis Cup. Um, we've, we see each other all the time when we travel to the tournament. So we, we all have a very good relationship with the guys, and it's going to be a thing an easygoing atmosphere. You know, me being like like the same age somewhat, um, I think it's going to have a different dynamic, and I will have I'll, I think I'll have a different approach to the guys. We'll talk about we'll talk differently. You know, we'll talk about the the game like from a different perspective, and um, I honestly, I really hope that um, they will like it, and I hope that the result will show it.
0: It's a tough group, but maybe take us through the other teams in the group and, and assess where Germany sits in relation to that.
3: Honestly, we tried to do it so many times, but it's impossible because you know the preparation for this ATP Cup this year is is just so different. It's unpredictable. You you don't know what's going to happen. You know, guys are are like spending two weeks in quarantine, training a few hours a day. But they're not able to do what they normally do before a big tournament. So it'll be interesting to see how it's how it'll affect their game on court, especially playing like the top players right away. Because normally also when you come after an off season, if you come back on court, you play, let's say, a few smaller tournaments. You have like a few opponents that are ranked outside the top 20, 30, 40. And here you play the ATP Cup and it's going to be top 10 versus top 10 like from day one. So... You know, Novak Djokovic uh, and Serbia doesn't need, like, a lot of introduction. It's, it's I mean, everybody knows, and he knows, like, everybody knows how well he's playing, how consistent he is on the court. But him not being able to train the way he would normally do, I assume, could affect his game. So it'll be interesting to see, like, when he goes back on court, like, is he, like, the same human role as we, like, like as, as we know him? Or that will he make a few more unforced errors? And is he, like, maybe um, not in, in, in top form? Um, Dennis Shapovalov in Canada with, with Raonic as well. Dennis is a very young player. He's very flashy. And, you know, same thing there. Like, he needs to play a lot of matches to feel confident, which he hasn't done in the last couple of weeks. So, like I said, it's very difficult to predict anything.
4: One of the big matches in this group will be Sasha Zverev against Denis Shapovalov. And your own game, Misha, is very like Shapovalov. So I'm just wondering whether your biggest role might be as a practice partner for your brother in the run-up to that match.
3: Definitely. I mean, the lefty serve, yes. Shapovalov is very flashy, but he has, big, uh, he has a big baseline game, so that's not really me. Yes, uh, I, I run to the net. He can come to the net as well, so we have our similarities there. Um, but still, his game is very, very flashy. He hits big shots. So we can definitely um, work on the return, you know, cover that slice-out wide serve on that on side. So, and we can definitely practice some passing shots. But in the end, it'll all depend on, on Sasha's serve and his ground strokes. If he's able to, like, put in, like, a high first serve percentage and um, he, he can hit his ground stroke very clean, I think he's able to outpower, outpower Shapovalov.
4: And can you talk a little bit about what you hope to achieve as Sasha's coach which you are certainly for the early part of this year? Do you hope to bring more of your own game into his, that bringing more of a net game into Sasha, or is your job just basically to make sure that he does the basics uh, as well as he normally does and that he's just in a good shape frame of mind when he goes on court?
3: Like my parents and I have been his coach for I mean all his life on and off, so <laughs> I, I know his game, so I'm not going to like suddenly be like, okay, now I'm officially part of your coaching staff, so I'm going to start changing anything. No, I, just, I know what he does. I know what he likes to do in training, and I know his game. I know he needs to feel um, confident with his ground strokes, and he needs to like practice a lot of baseline, um, do a lot of baseline drills throughout the, you know, off-season training sessions. So I won't change anything drastically. We spend a lot of hours on the court in December, and uh, so I'll just try to, you know, Just keep him happy and and keep him flowing and, and, you know, just make sure he he feels the ball well.
0: One of my lasting memories of Sasha and his career so far, Misha, was when he won in 2018 the the NITO ATP finals. And it wasn't – the match was fantastic in itself, but – it was afterwards, I happened to be lucky enough to be courtside and to see your parents out there, to see the pride in your dad's eyes. You had a little tear there, and your mum was there and it was fantastic to see. Obviously, 2020 has been such a different year. The start to 2021 is going to be a different year that you haven't actually been able to necessarily be all together and traveling and all that sort of stuff. Just a question for for both you and and for Sasha as well about what that experience has been like because you're such a close-knit team, such a close-knit family, and it's been so different across the past year or so. Yeah,
3: and that's, I think, one of the reasons why he decided to, you know, bring his whole like structure, you know, take it back to the roots like in a way because we are coaching him and he wants that, you know, that we take care of the management as well because of 2020, where he was at the US Open, reaching the final, and um, he was not able to to do it with the family, with my dad courtside, and I think that really, not really affected him, but he showed him like how important it is to him um, to have you know his family nearby, and that's why he said he, he wants us to to travel to the tournaments, even with all the restrictions. Um, there's only limited amount of people that can go, so he wanted to make sure that it's like my dad, my mom, and or I that um, that are courtside and help him out. So. He needs his family and he really shows that um, on and off the court.
4: Do you think that the absence of family really was a factor, given that he came within two points of winning the US Open, that that was a factor in his inability to close it out?
3: <laughs> I never, I haven't thought of that, but um, you, you never know. Look, there is, when, when you need to win two points and then you, you end up failing, you can find a lot of reasons for, you can just say, look, I was unlucky. I, I didn't win the two points. So that's it. Case closed. So uh, we're human. So we, we always tend to have a, a reason or an answer to all the questions. But sometimes things just happen like for no reason. Or we just don't know it. So um, I don't know the answer, like I said. But uh, now we're here. So let's see. If, if he makes it to the final again and he wins it, then that was a difference. If, if, let's say, he loses early in the first week, then uh, maybe... <laughs> maybe we're not a good enough team for him. So you never know.
0: And I think you should take the full credit if he does win the Australian Open too, Misha. Just take take all the credit uh, for yourself too. Uh, Just speaking of that though, because obviously it's a a bit of a, we're talking about transitions in tennis and it's a bit of a transition for you because obviously I know that you mentioned that you've you've been working with with Sasha along with with your parents for, for quite some time, but you've also been actively playing. In terms of how your 2021 looks, what's the balance going to be like in terms of working with your brother and managing and coaching your brother versus you playing as well?
3: Well, I definitely want to still play because I've trained actually very hard. I say like my off-season was like a year long because I pretty much trained. I started training in November in 2019 and I'm still training now. So, I've managed to play like only very few tournaments and I was actually hurt a few times, um, and I, I still feel like I, I have some some matches left in me, and, and I want to play um, definitely after the Australian Open, play some tournaments, travel to some tournaments with Sasha as well, but always make sure that, like, I stay in shape and train, and we do spend a lot of time on the court together where we play points, do drills, and um, I, I try to help him as a coach a little bit, but most of the time I also just want to play well myself, and I think that is also a big help for him because when he sees that he can – He can challenge me or I can challenge him and we compete against each other in practice. That's also a big motivation for him.
0: And we know that the the focus is obviously on on the singles side of things, but is maybe part of that setup if you're traveling to say tournaments that he's playing at that that you two might um, play some doubles as well, considering the fact that there hasn't been a lot of tennis going on in say the past 12 months?
3: Definitely. We're, we will try to play doubles wherever we get a chance. My ranking is not great, but we will still enter and we will try and maybe ask for a wild card here or there. And um, Look, we, we love playing tennis and we love playing doubles together, so as long as my body is, is fit enough to do so, um, we will definitely try go out there and, and enjoy the, the moments we share on the court, winning or losing, doesn't matter. And um, When you look back, uh, we always, uh, every tournament we play, we have some great moments and, and fond memories of it. So uh, looking back, we can say like, oh, remember, I mean, you're so open 2017, 18 or something. Remember Australia, remember off season when you were so skinny back in the day or something like that. And uh, no, we, we, we do have a lot of great memories. And, and that's, I think, what's special. So I'm, I'm a big family person my, and my brother is as well. So now my family is growing. Like I have a little son. So it's, it's expanding, it's growing. We have two dogs uh, now and it's, it's just great
4: times. And we know that players uh, feel particularly at home in cities where they've done well. Sasha won the junior title here a few years ago. It was the first time he got to the fourth round of a major, first time to the semi-finals of a major. You beat uh, Murray here when he was world number one. Do you both feel particularly good in Australia? I do.
3: I do love Australia. We've been coming here since 2000, uh, I think two or three. I think that's the first time we came to Australia, 2002 or three. And I've played in the juniors. My brother came with me and uh, he practiced on all the um, Australian Open courts as, as a little boy. I, I Australian Open was the first tournament I qualified for main draw in 2007. And I practiced with my brother before my first round match in the main draw. And... Uh, I also traveled around like the Sydney era to cities like Wollongong and Cessnock and Gosford and played all those local tournaments there, like the the satellites. And he was with me. Like we had like, we were traveling with four massive bags and bodyboards and surfboards and tours and everything. Cause I think he was like six years old back then. And we just had great memories as a family. And um, we spent a lot of weeks traveling across Australia. I like dinner, road trip from Sydney to Melbourne one time. That was also fun. Like it's just, uh, we do have a lot of great memories from Australia and we we love coming here, especially I think uh, after the off season, when when you spend a lot of time preparing for the next season and then you show up in Australia, it's like the first tournament, you're really motivated, you're in good shape and um, it's summer. So I don't know, it all factors, like those are all factors that make you feel happy when you come here.
0: It was a great... Chat Chris that we had with Misha Zverev, some interesting perspective not only on the ATP Cup but about how he's going to be working with Sasha. It's going to be a really interesting dynamic coming up this week.
4: It is, and uh, you know, when you hear him talking about road trips through Australia when they were younger, I mean, Sasha was what six or something, it makes you realize that there is a bond there that I think will do Sasha good because it means that there's an element to the coaching that can actually get away from tennis. And uh, given that Sasha has just grown up around tennis, he's known nothing else, maybe actually that. That's what he needs maybe a little bit of lightness of spirit around the tennis circuit which is hard for him to get given that uh, it, it's been that all the way through there are a lot
0: of positives Jill to having Misha and Sasha working together but I imagine there would be times along the way when you're working with family and had that close connection all the way through that might be a little bit troubling from time to time
1: I mean you would think so but I think you know their father has been around for most of their like almost all their career as well and I think they they just have a respect for each other and I think they really enjoy being around family members and I think you feel like there could always be a clash having it be an older brother or a father that gets involved but I feel like you get the sense that they all have a really good relationship and I just feel like Sasha looks up to that his big brother and, and Misha and I have a big brother too and you always have that little sort of animosity sometimes, but in the end, that respect is always there because as an elder sibling and as a father, in my opinion.
4: And I think the fact that there's 10 years between them really does make a difference. I mean, if they'd been two or three years, yes, they would have uh, fought each other, you know, in, in, in the nursery or, you know, on the way home from school or whatever. The fact that it's such a big difference means that Misha has always been the senior partner.
0: Uh, uh, yes, and they also have Team Germany a hell of a doubles team in Kravitz and Meese. We've talked a little bit in the previous podcast, Chris, about the number one player. we talked a lot about the number two player. We haven't talked a lot about the doubles combinations. It is an Olympic year, notionally, um, and we will be seeing some of these doubles teams from the same country getting together, but they've already got one ready to go, In Kravitz and Mees have been playing together for years.
4: They have, and it's just a a wonderful story, and I'm so pleased every time they win. In tennis terms, we've got to be a little careful here because if they hadn't had that sort of slightly um, off form run the French Open where they defended their title they wouldn't have got near for qualifying for the ATP finals so in a way in terms of their form from last year there's a lot still to be um, answered and you know are they a natural top 10 doubles team I'd like to think so but the results don't necessarily bear it out
0: I'm going to use a cliche to you a former player there are no easy matches Every match is hard, particularly here at the ATP Cup, because Germany come up against Serbia and Canada. Canada depth all the way through. Serbia, Novak Djokovic, Filip Krauterich got Victor Troitsky. He's going to be on the sidelines. That's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Any picks here? Do you want to make any predictions? Oh, Talk about I'm those. Making a t-
1: prediction already? We just started. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, you missed the time I mean,
0: capsule. I mean, come
1: on. If I had to choose, I mean, obviously the defending champions in Serbia is hard to go against. I mean, obviously they have a great team atmosphere. Um, And they have, you know, good camaraderie. And I think they spoke quite a bit about that last year, how the team came together so significantly for each other. And that is huge as a a team sport, as you were considering the ATP Cup a team sport, because sometimes players take it differently. I mean, sometimes it adds more pressure because being a part of a team is completely different pressure you're dealing with than if you're playing just for yourself. All of a sudden, your team is on the line. there, rooting for you. Your country is on the line. So it does add quite a bit of pressure, um, and obviously Serbia thrived on that last year. So it's hard to kind of not go with them again. Um, I think Spain is very dangerous, of course, being getting to the finals last year, and I think Russia is going to be dangerous as well. I'm just going to list all the groups. You are
0: you are yep, firing, firing early, but it. I have, I have a list in front of me here. We're going to be fire, we're going to go through all of those in a moment. Please excuse Jill and Chris; they haven't seen sunlight for 14 days, so they're just getting <laughs> used to the whole thing again.
4: Oh, that's what it is. I wonder what it was. (laughs) Let's
0: get into Group B because that's uh, Greece, Spain and, of course, the hosts, Australia. Earlier in the week, Chris managed to catch up with Team Australia captain Leighton Hewitt. And before they got talking about the home side's chances, the point was made that maybe this is a good time to play Rafa Nadal on a hard court and without too many matches under his belt.
5: If you ever have to play him, yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> you know, I, I've obviously got so much respect for Rafa as a tennis player, but as a person as well and and how great he's been for the sport of tennis for so many years now. Um, he's such a great ambassador. And, and so for us, we got knocked out in the semi-finals last year in an awfully close uh, battle against Spain. Uh, they went on to, you know, just lose the final against Serbia. But, you know, they're, they're one of the strongest nations, led by Rafa, obviously. But uh, Bautista are good as well as number two. He's such a quality player. And, uh, yeah, he's certainly one of the strongest number twos that they can put in any team. So we're going to have to be on our game, I I guess, playing uh in australia in conditions that my boys alex Diminar and also johnny millman in the singles are, are going to enjoy going out there and competing in um but we know it's going to be a challenge but yeah i've got a i've got a good feeling that our boys are going to enjoy being the underdogs in this one
4: i mean someone like alex diman playing uh, number one for australia i mean he doesn't fear anybody and he'll run uh, he's, he's very much like you in the sense that he'll run forever and he's incredibly quick on his on his fees
5: yeah, no, absolutely. He's got to be probably, in my mind, the quickest guy out there on tour. And, uh, yeah, how he gets back into position after each shot uh, is fantastic. He's got great footwork. He's got really good balance as well. And he's starting to add some real weapons to his game. And, uh, yeah, he likes to play offensive tennis when he gets the chance. But, obviously, he's got some of the best defence in the world. So, uh, he had a hell of a match against Rafa last year in Sydney at Ken Roseville Arena um, under lights there. So, yeah, yeah, I'm sure on Rod Laver Arena this time it's going to be no different. Uh, Alex is going to be up for the challenge. He knows it's going to be an awfully big, big challenge and a big effort. Um, but he'll he'll be ready no matter what. And one thing for Alex, he's going to leave it all out there for us.
4: And the nature of the tournament is that with so many of the top players around, uh, we know that the one against one matches are going to be great. But so much rests on the number two player. And I suspect in John Milman, you've probably got a little bit of a an ace up your sleeve there.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And probably more so in Australia too, I think. Um, he, He plays really well in these conditions. He loves playing in front of his home crowd as well. Um, he's had a great three or four years, Johnny. And, and I know every time that I've sat courtside in any team competition with him, um, he, he plays some of his best tennis out there. So I feel very comfortable being on the court with Johnny. Um, I have full belief in, in what he's going to bring to the table and, and that he's going to play extremely well. As I said, he's got a really tough match against Batista Agut on, on the first night. So it's not going to be easy. Um, but, you know, the number two player gets to go out there first as well. And, and uh, it would be fantastic for him to, to put Australia 1-0 up, that's for sure.
4: And have you given any thought to doubles? Because that could be crucial.
5: Yeah, I, I guess a lot's going to uh, depend on how the first two matches go, really, um, and how much that takes out of the players. There's not a, a long turnaround between the number one singles and the doubles match as well, so uh, you kind of got to be very flexible, I think, on on the night uh, with your matches. And obviously, we'll take into consideration the the matchups as well that we could be faced against and where we're positioned in the tie. Um, but I have John Piers and Luke Saville as well. Piersy, obviously, I spent a lot of time with on the doubles court, uh, very capable doubles player who. Um, excels in that form of the game winning grand slams and then Luke Saville's really uh, upped his game in the last year and a half now um, yeah he was an Australian Open doubles finalist only a bit over a year ago uh, with Max Purcell so he's going to feel confident playing on Rod Laver Arena as well when he gets his opportunity.
4: Tennis is very much an individual sport if you had to sum up what playing for a team does to an individual not just in the team environment but when they get back on the tour as an individual again how, how would you do that?
5: Well, it can work both ways, to be honest. Um, some play players really strive and and they uh, you know find an extra extra confidence boost by going out there and actually having people rely on their result um, and them not just playing for themselves. They feel like there's something bigger to play for. Um, and other guys really struggle with that added pressure of actually saying "Game Australia" instead of uh, you know "Game Your Surname." So for them to actually go out there and look across and feel the pressure and expectation on their shoulders that they're not just representing themselves they're representing their captain the coaches, uh, their team mem- members sitting on the side of the court and also the crowd quite often so uh, it can work, work both ways. Um, you know in my time in, in team environments you know it's about building up guys confidence as well making them feel like they're invincible when they're out there and, and keep trying to find different ways of motivating your players. Um, all, all the players that I've dealt with in, in any team competition they all have different personalities. Um, you've got to talk to them differently when they're under pressure as well in, in stressful situations. And I think that's one of the big keys is, is really knowing your players and how they respond out there under pressure.
4: I going to say, you probably have to be a bit of a psychologist, don't you? You have to work out at any moment when a player needs a, a cuddle and when they need a kick up the backside.
5: I'm not sure if I'm smart enough to be a psychologist, but uh, yeah, for for me, I understand the game of tennis and and, uh, it is though spending time with your players, Um, not just even in practice or on the match court, it's it's away from the court as well and getting to know them on a personal level and, and what makes them tick. Um, And I think the the closer bond you can have with your players, then the more trust and respect you both have mutually when you're out there. And, uh, you know, I guess that trust is a big thing when you're out there and they are under the pump in those kind of matches. um, For them to know that they can lean on me uh, and I've absolutely got their back 100% out there, that will give them the the strength and confidence to push forward. And, And I guess the belief in what I'm telling them as well at certain times.
0: Well, Jill, we know that Leighton Hewitt is the ultimate team player let's talk about australia because uh i would say this out of every other year would be one for a home court advantage the australians having not been subject to quarantine the various quarantines around the world have been hitting happily uh, uh for for weeks and months now here at home and haven't had to go through the same process unless of course they were part of the qualifying it hasn't affected too many alex Dimonor is one of those who played, won the title in Antalya and has had to come down here, but they've had a lot of hitting under their belts. Is there any home court advantage you feel for the Aussies, particularly this year?
1: I mean, I think it could be. I think especially being outside in the summer, um, you know, for the Europeans that are coming over that have been practicing indoors, it's it's very different to come out and and play in, in the outdoors, but Um, I think it's going to be more of who is able to handle the challenges, because obviously, even though you've been having those practices, there's nothing that can really compare to being ready for match play, um, because it's just that added pressure, those added nerves. And, you know, the fact that Diminar has that title and he's had those matches, regardless of whether he's coming from the event and hasn't had as much practice, I think that could be beneficial for him because he has a lot of those matches under his belt. He has that competitiveness there so i think that could be um, pretty crucial for him so for me it's going to come down to who can handle the challenges that that this last year has has given us
0: well let's talk about challenges let's talk about spain and rafa nadal uh, played in adelaide and and has been quarantining in adelaide he seems in, in fine fettle coming here to australia he loves playing in australia how do we assess team spain's chances
4: I mean, the thing about Nadal, and you got it on my first question to Hewitt there, that actually Nadal takes a match or two to get into his stride. It's one of the things I love about this Australian swing, not just the Australian Open, but uh, the ATP Cup and the two 250-level tournaments. You know, tennis players are so fit. They're so well-honed. They are perfect physical specimens in so many ways. And here they have a situation where they haven't quite had everything, or not all of them have had everything, in the, under their own control. So they're gonna have to draw on other aspects of their game. You know, for some it will be their underlying fitness. For others it'll be their ability to think and to use aspects of their game that they don't always use. And I think that's, that's terrific, and in a way, uh, you have a better chance of ambushing someone like Nadal, who really likes to get into his groove. Uh, they say about Nadal is that you will, uh, once he's into the fourth round of the French, it's virtually impossible to beat him. It's sort of the same in most other tournaments, even though he has lost in, he lost in the quarterfinals here last year and he's lost in the semis. But I just think it's... Uh, uh, sorry, he lost in the final last year, quarterfinals the year before. I just think it's um, a great situation to be in, but in particular for Nadal, because he is more vulnerable in, the, in his first couple of matches.
1: I think even with that vulnerability, I mean, I think going back to the team aspect, that's where your team members can really be crucial for you. I mean, we're talking about Nadal here. I don't think you can ever rule him out ever, even in the beginning of his first couple matches. But um, I think that's where that team can be so helpful. And that's we talk a lot about doubles helping each other if one player is maybe not playing as well. And that's why the team can be so, so great. I mean, you're, you're helping each other in every moment.
0: Well, we've also got uh, Greece as part of Group B. In Group C, talking about Team Ethos, we've got Italy, we've got France and we've got Austria. Let's talk about uh, Italy first because Fabio Fanini back big time again alongside Matteo Berrettini. Fanini is playing as the number two player. France have... Benoit pair in the mix there this is going to be one of the more fun groups with Dominic team for Austria
4: it is I mean for Italy the question is who do you leave out because they are on the verge of a massive golden era and uh, you know we, we've seen Berrettini we've Zinnas uh, not in that lot um, Fonini is if you like the the uh, the elder statesman of Italian tennis, which is an odd thing to talk about Fabio Fonini because the idea of him being an elder statesman doesn't really fit <laughs> the image that we've got used to over the last 10-15 years and uh, you've got someone like Mozetti who still isn't there, you've got Trevaglia uh, there's so many of these Italians at the moment and they will all help each other and therefore there will be real competition in the Italian team. They, players who are there will want to show that they are worth it. And Berrettini's got a lot to prove this year so he needs to get off to a good start.
0: But also talking about France Jill, we talk about the golden era They've got so many players in the top. I was looking through it the other day. They have so many players just sitting perennially, just in the top 100. Of course, we look at the doubles too. They've got a handy doubles team there. They're going to be one of the ones, I think, to watch across this ATP Cup.
1: I mean, absolutely. I, I feel like as we're talking, it's hard to leave any any group out. I mean, really, there are so <laughs> Don't many... Don't say
4: any ma- every match is tough. Don't no, go to the cliche. I'm, I'm, Come going on.
1: Back to my, I'm going back to my... <laughs> I feel like every group can win.
4: <laughs> but in a way, they're only as good as their second player or their doubles team.
1: Well, I think and also having a leader, I mean, I feel like who can, who can step up and be that leader? Because the, the, the one that steps up, I mean, I know they all have their coaches, but the one player that can step up and be that leader amongst the group, it can really just forge some energy throughout the entire team. And then you never know who's going to step up and just crush it in these team, in this team atmosphere.
0: Quick one from you on Dominic team, Chris. Number one that by the end of the year possible?
4: I certainly thought so at the end of last year. What will be interesting is just to see how much the absence of Nicholas Massu affects him. I suspect it won't, in the sense that having his dad here, his dad is a not only was with him in the early part of his career, but he's a recognised coach. He's the official coach of Dennis Novak, Austria's number two player. So in a way, I think Wolfgang team will be a very good replacement. But we saw such a surge in teams hard court play when he's teamed up with Nicholas Masu that he, there is just a question about how much Masu's absence from this Australian trip will actually make a difference to team.
0: Well let's talk about Group D finally. Russia, Argentina and Spain. A couple of my favourite players. And ATP Tennis Radio's own favourite players in here. Let's start off with Russia. Talk about depth in Russian tennis at the moment. Boy oh boy. Medvedev and Rublev your number one, your number two player. Fairly handy I would have thought considering the years they had. Yeah I
1: was going to say incredible, incredible um, run that they've both had. I mean, and they're just so much fun to watch and a little bit different personalities, but it's, it, I think it's actually fun listening to them, to them talk about each other because they grew up together. You know, they they kind of are both... Can be feisty on the court, but they're not afraid to talk about that. And I think, um, you know, I think they feed off of each other, Medvedev and Rublev. I mean, I think they really, really push each other to get better and better. And I think they're really dangerous.
0: Argentina's got a handy player, Diego Schwartz. I was so excited to see him playing so well, and just to see him kicking on.
1: He's just such a likable guy.
0: You, you <laughs> would have been excited too, Jill.
1: I, I'm very, i always excited when Schwartzman does well. I was very excited for him at the French Open last year. Of course, he came up against Nadal, so <laughs> we know how usually that goes. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, especially with um, just his his determination and his will to get better and better at every moment, you just, you just got to, there's no way that you just can't help rooting for him.
4: Exactly. I commentated on his two matches against Nadal last year when he beat him in Rome and when he lost to him in the French Open semi-final And it's just wonderful. The problem with Schwartzman is that he has to work so hard. And you know, I'd love him to have as good a year this year as he had last year. I'd love him to get to a, a major final. I'd love him to win it. But you know, the amount of effort he puts in for me, it's wonderful that somebody who is one meter seventy or five foot seven can still hack it in the top ten. But uh, the effort he has to put in to get there.
1: But he has it in I mean, he has it in him to have that effort over and over again, which is what's incredible
0: just a quick word on Japan Olympic year we talked to Taro Daniel which you can also find that extended chat Who on couldn't it. couldn't get in the team. Couldn't get into the team but he talks a little bit about Team Japan and talks about the Olympics as well. There's an extra bit of incentive for the Japanese players. Absolutely
4: and you know it's great to see Kei Nishikori back and we know that Nishikori generally plays well after a, a time off. He had that long period off but he's still a very very good player. I think he's underestimated especially when he's on form he's generally done quite well here and uh, Nishioka is the number two player i mean that's a good team and i'd say about looking at the strength of the second player i mean nishioka had a good year last year certainly the the two months at the start of the year before we had the five month break and i think nishioka uh, could be a very useful player And if he can win his match then it just means it's it's all in uh nishikori's hands
0: yeah taro daniel takes on andrew harris in the first round of the murray river open there are two ATP 250 events also being played at Melbourne Park. It is unprecedented what is going on it's here.
4: lovely the names that they've chosen as well. They've taken a couple of uh, tourist uh, spots. spots in yep. Australia and just allowed us to highlight them which is uh, just it just mentions, but it's it's great.
0: The Murray River Open. Stan Brinker is the top seed. So talk about all these players that couldn't get into ATP Cup. You got Grigor Dimitrov in as the second seed there. Felix Auger-Aliassime as the third seed. Nick Kyrgios is back as the thirteenth seed. So there are big draws for this one. The Great Ocean Road Open. Don't worry if you can't follow all these. Just follow the players. David Goffin is the top seed there. Karen Hachanov, He is the second seed. Um, Hubert Hercash at the third seed. Yannick Sinner the fourth seed. I think that's going to be a bit of a trend this season.
4: Well, they'll be dropping like the Twelve Apostles and there's only about seven of them left.
0: Really? You've been building up for 14 days talking about that, haven't you? It's going to be a lot of fun, though, over this week. Just to see how how players go. It's a completely unique situation. Jill, uh, you two have been through part of the quarantine as well. These are different times, but we've just got to adapt and the key word is flexible.
1: That's right. I mean, I just think it's incredible that that the Australia Summer Series that they've put on before the Australian Open starts is just absolutely immense. And I can't believe they were able to put together in time and just get all these tournaments on the calendar to give every single player that's here an opportunity to play, which I think is just incredible because they've really um, taken into account that a lot of these players, you know, had – extremely limited schedule as we all know and the fact that they're just getting playing opportunities I think is awesome and Chris and I did go through the quarantine I think we both were talking a little bit beforehand that you know we came in we knew it had to be done we recognized that the you know the Australians had a rough go where they had I think it was 111 day quarantine in and, and so particular. to go 14 days I think it was it was it was it was easy compared to what you guys had to do, but um, you know, we appreciate the efforts and the fact that we're able to be here and, and be back again working at the events.
4: Absolutely, I'd second that. And when I walked into Melbourne Park for the first time, yes, it is slightly different. You haven't got quite the the broadcaster's village when you walk in from the tram stop between the Melbourne Cricket Ground and uh, the Rod Laver Arena. But, you know, it's still incredibly well done. It's been well organised. And given that so much is under very, very strict rules this year, you know, because... Uh, the overriding authority is still Quarantine Victoria which is run by the uh, Victoria Prison Service and therefore there are some strict rules that we have to follow here and yet there's one lovely little touch which I picked up on our badges the our first name is printed in much bigger typeface than our surname and I just think that's a lovely little touch for the friendly slam
0: enjoy the tennis this week both of you Uh, make sure you sanitize regularly all of that sort of stuff, but it's been great having you as a part of the podcast.
1: Thank you very much. So happy to be here. Thank you.
0: And that's it for this edition of the podcast. Please check out the ATP Exclusives channel where you will find on our TuneIn Radio app extended versions of our chats with Ross Hutchins, Misha Zverev and Leighton Hewitt. And you'll also find extended conversations with Team Serbia Captain Victor Troitsky and Team Canada Captain Peter Polanski. Chris and I will be back with another podcast next weekend as we look back on events at the ATP Cup as well as the two 250 tournaments taking place and of course we'll look ahead to the australian open in earnest in the meantime stay safe and enjoy the tennis